Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in Tallahassee's All Saints District. This is The Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Presented by Hobson Chevrolet. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Here's Tom Block and Keith Jones. Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in Tallahassee's All Saints District. This is The Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Presented by Hobson Chevrolet. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Here's Tom Block and Keith Jones. everybody and welcome to the latest and greatest edition of the front row tom block and keith jones with you kj good to see you the very tanned tom block i just got back from vacay it did involve sun and other assorted activities and at least with sunshine and at least two forms of umbrellas I thought you were going to one say one over your head and one in your drink. I thought you were going to say two forms of identification because that was about <laughs> true too to to leave the country and get back. And fortunately, they did let me back in, so here I am. And uh, not only that, but uh, they let us back on the air here. As we there you said. go. Uh, it's been a couple of weeks since uh, you and I have done this. Uh, last week we. Uh, reminisced, I guess, with Tom D'Angelo and uh, talked Florida State football extensively with he and Tim. Tim Linnefelt will join us in our next segment. We're at the point of the year where we are at the uh, the end of the Florida State athletic season. Things are wrapping up, and uh, I think if you look backwards, and we'll talk about this uh, obviously some today and, and the weeks to come, uh, not a bad 15-16 sports academic year. It wasn't, although here's what's interesting. I was going to talk about this with Tim, and we'll ask him anyway. Not a lot of people necessarily pay attention uh, this far down because they're interested in sort of the big three in football and basketball and baseball. But when you look at the the Learfield, I think it's the Learfield Cup Directors Cup now. I don't know. The name has changed. But anyway, Florida State has finished in the top 15 for, I want to say, seven or eight consecutive years. And this year they're currently sitting 24th and the only sport yet to be computed is baseball. And looking at it quickly, I don't know that FSU can even get into the top 20. So I'm going a long way to say that while I agree, if you look at this past year, Florida State had a soccer team in the Final Four, a national runner-up in beach volleyball. Uh, the softball team was in the Final Four. I know a lot of very, very good things. Women's and men's golf both advanced to the NCAA championships. When you total it up, it's actually a down year by Florida State standards, which I think really speaks more to the fact that they've been that good in prior. Yeah, that Because good. it comes from two things. Number one, the football team didn't score as many points as they had the two years previous. And track and field. And track and field. Both men and women had, had performed so well uh, coming up and into this year. Uh, so it's a, it's a question of how you view it, where you come from, where you're at. Still, uh, I think a top 25 finish, maybe sliding into that top top 20 the consistency of where they've been over as you mentioned over the last six or seven years is impressive yeah i mean i think this is a blip next year is trending very well when you look at just in general football is going to be up and we'll, we've already talked a lot about that and we'll continue to discuss that uh, i think there's reason to be excited about men's basketball and we talk a little bit about that today as it relates to malik beasley in the nba draft later on this week uh, certainly softball and baseball are pretty loaded for next year soccer is uh you know soccer's in the final four every year College soccer Cup. is soccer so I, I think there's reason to be excited about next year as well but we'll talk to, to tim about that when you look at the calendar i mean really we're at the time of the year where it's news that jimbo's holding a camp everybody reports on it and who's here and everybody and news that they finally decided they're not going to do satellite camps at least for 2016 well good for them i mean florida didn't state, think they needed to do them anyway but 
Yeah, I think you could be strategic and put a couple out there just to say you're doing them, but uh, I don't think it's going to hurt recruiting one way or another. I agree. I also think that by the time January rolls around and they get at the convention again, they'll they'll redraw the rules on that and, and everything will change, and Jim Harbaugh will be picking on something else at that point. And, and it'll be uh, exciting to see what he comes up with because he always comes up with something that I've never even considered. So hats off to him. NBA Finals uh, finished up. I was uh, out of the country. Actually, I was back in the country, but I was on a flight. Conveniently, my flight uh, left Fort Lauderdale as the fourth quarter started Sunday night and uh, touched down in uh, Tampa because, you know, when you live in Tallahassee, you have to go some circuitous ways. to. to... Normally, it's Atlanta, but you had headed south yes, to begin yes, with, so, so anyway, you were coming from. The bottom line is I didn't get to watch the fourth quarter all, uh, the other night because there was uh, no video on the flight. But that uh, is just a, that's a me issue. Let's make this more about uh, LeBron. What do you think? I'm not a fan of the 24-second game. I, I don't watch NBA much at all. I only start paying attention to it in the playoffs. I did not watch any of the final four, uh, the final seven. Sitting, certainly did not watch the final game. But I read. Well, then why did I even ask you well, that here's, here's the reason. I read. I pay attention. Uh, it's not about what happens on the court per se. It's about, for me, the other stuff. First time in the history of the NBA, a team down 3-1 comes back and wins it. Uh, games in which blowouts were the norm, winning double digits, sometimes 20, sometimes 30-point margins, final game right there. And it speaks to something we haven't talked about. All of this movement to uh, the three-point shot and, and scoring from outside, well, just like everything else in life, it comes back to age-old things. This was a low-scoring game that was won by the team that was more physical because the three-point shooting left the Warriors, and that's going to happen. So you go back to football. You win football with a running game and defense. I know you got to put up points. I know you got to score a bunch. But when it comes down to championships, you got to be able to run the football when you have to. you got to play defense. Baseball, pitching, and defense – basketball you've got to play physical you've got to score inside and just like uh, the documentary that was out on ESPN the 30 for 30 about how Cleveland's been 52 years without a championship and they went back and I watched it they chronicled uh, Bernie Kosar and and the drive when Elway takes them 98 right. yards uh, Ernest Biner well, they could have done a five-part uh, yeah. series on Cleveland's utility <laughs> yeah. too not just on Ernest, no Ernest Biner was Biner is that the right name Ernest yeah. Biner and the fumble yep. and those well, now you've got the block. The block. And that, well, that's to really me, it... is absolutely reminiscent of what championships are about. Low scoring, physical game, turning point in the game was LeBron defensively taking care of business and they win a championship. Really, that was what I'm most curious about. Are you a pro LeBron, anti LeBron? It seems like people are pretty divided on I'm, this. I am pro LeBron uh, for a couple of reasons. Number one, I've always found him to be honest. Now, he may have been stupid in what he was being honest about, <laughs> i.e. the press conference going down to Miami or, or up on the stage in Miami when he said they're going to win seven or whatever the comment was. But he's always, perhaps naive and young. I, I'm not even going to give him credit for that. I'm going to give him credit for sometimes getting too big for his britches. But I like him. He's tra- he works hard. He reminds me of the age-old thing. All of this has been around Seminole football. Talk about Deion Sanders. And the one thing when you talk to kids that played with Deion, whether it's football, minor league baseball, or even MLB, they talk about how hard he worked. Well, LeBron works hard. 
He's earned what he's been given. He's got great God-given ability, no question. But he works hard and he continues to work at it. He's transparent. He may be dumb, silly, naive, fill in whatever word you want to. Uh, But the long answer wrapped up to the short answer, I'm very much pro-LeBron. I really like watching him uh, those few times I do watch, and I can't wait to see what comes out from a endorsement and commercials and appearances standpoint now. Uh, well, he's two or three months like, off season. Yeah, not like he needs any more. That his shoe deal is worth a billion, and he's about to, you know, well, it's, sal- a li- it's a lifetime deal. Right? With the salary cap expanding in the NBA in future years, it, I'm not worried about him financially. I, I also, I've always uh, liked him. I, it, it's interesting to me uh, because it's it's pretty visceral. The the hate for him that's been out there and i didn't see it really change a whole lot based on the results this week i think people are pretty dug in on on what they think i guess where i come from on it is this guy was anointed i mean literally anointed the chosen one when he was 18 and you know other than the the i'm going to take my talents to miami comment when he left the Cavs the first time around and what you alluded Mm -hmm. to when he got down there in the moment he said we're going to win not one not two not whatever and i think he did get to seven he really hasn't done – he hasn't gotten in trouble. I mean, he's, he's, he's been a pretty good ambassador for the game. Uh, I just feel like people are uh, – and, and I, you know, obviously I grew up in the Jordan era, so. Well, I grew, I grew up with Chocolate Thunder 30 miles down the road at Orlando Evans. <laughs> so I know what it's like when you're coming out of high school and, and, yeah. and playing at that level. And he, he, he didn't live up to all his uh, notoriety. You've you heard me say this before. We've been together a long time. Uh, James is one of those personalities that evokes a response. You either love him or you hate him. He's just one of those personalities. I don't know. Daryl Dawkins was who I was referring to, by the way, Chocolate Thunder. You know, Keith, you you fly with the men's basketball team on charters, and I fly with the football team. And it just struck me that at no time on any of the FSU charters have we ever diverted to Las Vegas on the return trip as the Cavs <laughs> did. I mean, not even we were we were right there. You yeah, know, we were in Pasadena. We could have just made a simple stop, but whatever reason, we we didn't we didn't set the plane down in Vegas. I just uh, I guess that's <laughs> a difference between collegiate and professional. That's true. We have to maintain the amateurism. Speaking of. Uh, Amateurism. We'll continue with this show, and Tim Linfelt will join us right after this on the front row. Listening to the front row with Tom Locke and Keith Jones only on 97.9 ESPN Radio. Here's Tom and Keith. Welcome back to the front row. I will remind you that. Parts of this program are brought your way, as always, by Madison Social. It's a big week for Madison Social. The Tallahassee Takeover is this Saturday. Jaguars in town. From 4 to 7, Rashad Green, Jalen Ramsey, Telvin Smith, and whoever else the Jags are bringing, uh, probably uh, Jackson and the Roar, and and there'll be photo ops and autographs and all kinds of things. As if you didn't need a reason to go to Madison Social, we've given you one anyway, 4 to 7. A free and event, by the way. expecting a big crowd, so get there early. Yeah, well, it's become Florida State East as we welcome our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefeld, to the program. And, Tim, I know you were over in Jacksonville when Jalen Ramsey had his initial press conference. I would suspect that if you're in town, you will probably uh, get reacquainted with some of these former Knowles this weekend. I don't know that I've ever asked you, though. Are you actually a Jaguars fan growing up here in Tallahassee? Is that your team? 
Well, no, no. You're Steelers uh, now that I think about that, aren't you? Yeah, I was uh, yeah. I was born into a Pittsburgh sports fandom, which I'll admit is not the worst thing uh, in the world. Uh, it, it's well, unless, you, unless you like them for baseball. Yeah, yeah. As well, others affiliated with this station do. But, you know, ironically enough, the uh, the Jaguars have often been a thorn in, in the side of the Steelers since they came into the league, it's, uh, especially for a while back there, back in the old AFC Central. It was actually a, kind of a nice little rivalry they had for a while. Well, I think I'm already previously on record as saying that the Jaguars, to me, historically have just sort of been, and I think it was, they've just been a vanilla franchise to me, and I'm probably thinking back to the Mark Brunel days more than anything, but I I was a displaced South Floridian and Dolphins fan, and all the Jags did was take the Dolphins off TV here in Tallahassee, so I've been bitter for several years, but then the Dolphins have been terrible for several years, and I've gotten over that, and I'm not really a Dolphins fan at this point. And and they're also responsible for sending Dan Marino... uh, tumbling into retirement uh, i guess would be the nicest way you could say it in the in that playoff game where they beat them by a hundred or so so yeah not, not, not a great history there either yeah and i was actually at that playoff game uh that year when it was like 62 to 7 or whatever that was it was it was miserable i'm sorry of, of the people talking who played against marino i didn't hear that you know keith I, i've been to your this 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 is <laughs> I, I might have done this anyway, Tim, but Keith just teed it up to me. Te- uh, and I haven't been to your house in a while, KJ. But at one point I was there, and you, I think you had one football in a case, and it was the one that Dan Marino threw to you in the 1980 game. Yeah, I lined up about 15 yards deep and immediately went backwards. He was trying to overthrow everything, and I ran it down. <laughs> well, congratulations. I did return it 55 yards and uh, got out of bounds. Billy Capice came on, kicked another field goal, and we went in halftime, and we actually ended up winning that game. There were 11 first round draft picks on the field for pittsburgh hey. offense and defense you know one of them uh, we've completely digressed uh tim we'll, we'll get back to you here momentarily oh, sure. I'm, I got a, a, a sports media personality that has oft drawn the ire of seminal fans is mark may and i recall seeing him here i don't know what year it was so I, for some reason i don't know why this would stick in my head it might have been the 09 fsu miami game which was a monday night game yep. Anyway, you introduced yourself, and he knew right away. He asked I, well, I walked up to him. I walked up to him, and I said, uh, I'm Keith Jones. We played against each other. He said, really? I said, he said, here? I said, yeah, the 80 game. He said, what position? I said, safety. He said, 42 or 28? <laughs> I said, 28. I remember you. I remember you because I ran away from you a whole bunch. <laughs> That's pretty remarkable, though, that, that many years later. I guess, Keith, had I witnessed your playing days, I might have that recollection as well. You, you were in diapers when I was out there. Tim, we've killed five minutes now. Florida State's athletic season is is over at this point, I guess. So uh, we're, we're really football or bust. But uh, Jimbo had camp last week. This has become major. This is what we do over the summer. So Jimbo had camp. I know you can't talk about the prospects that were here since you're affiliated with the university. But uh, is there anything of note you can share from Jimbo's camps? Yeah, you know, I thought it was, it was interesting. It gets come out every year over the last couple. But since the NCAA passed the legislation that allows student-athletes to be compensated for working and assisting as, as basically coaches at that camp. You see a lot of current players out there, uh, and they always seem to really enjoy it. Uh, it's fun watching those guys coach the younger guys, the high school kids, and even some of the, the, the littler guys, too, the, the middle and elementary school age uh, kids that get out there. And, you know, Jimbo said afterward, I think he talked, I think it was Friday, said, you know, from a coach's perspective, it, it really, really benefits the players to get out there and, and have to teach the concepts that have to teach what to do on the football field and all that kind of stuff. Uh, the old cliche goes, you know, if you really want to learn something, teach it. Well, that's what's going on out there for, gosh, for, uh, more than a dozen current former 
current Florida State players. They're out there teaching. They're out there coaching. They're out there getting frustrated when the concept that they're trying to get across uh, isn't being picked up as quickly as they like. So I think Jimbo simultaneously gets a kick out of it and also really likes to see his players going through that process. Two things, Tim. Number one, and I I totally echo that because I've had the opportunity to work a little bit in Hamilton's camp, not that I'm doing anything, but just being there uh, since I I, I do the, the basketball side. The, the the learning how to coach it so that when you're back in that position and your coach is trying to teach you that is an unbelievable, as you mentioned, learning experience. The other thing that, that I think, and Jimbo's never really talked about it, but it gives the segment coaches an opportunity to watch the kids. And with the, the graduate assistants, with the quality control, with the number of affiliated staff that is ex- ever expanding at the D1 college level, it gives the, the staff an opportunity to look at the current players and of those that aren't going to go into the the NFL who are the ones you want to continue in your program for a year or two and let them get their ears wet to go into coaching absolutely right and that's actually something that, that came up and, and he, he, Jim, he Jim was actually asked if, if there were any of those guys that he thought would make good coaches need to decline to to name any but he thinks think that there are guys that you know they have that kind of football mind that that you know if a professional career doesn't work out or if a professional career does work out and once it's over, that they would be able to, to make good coaches. So, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a pretty neat event. Uh, it's, the place is just jam-packed uh, with, with lots of different color jerseys and helmets and whatever else. Uh, like I said, to see the, the, the Florida State players, the current guys, and, and gosh, man, there was a bunch uh, just reeling off the top of my head. Demarcus Walker was out there. Dalvin Cook was out there for a bit. Travis Rudolph, Derek Noddy, Demarcus Christmas, uh, Roderick Johnson, on and on and on. Uh, it's something that the guys really like to be a part of, and so it, it almost feels – like like a football festival of sorts that, that goes on out there. Well, and they invite some of the former players too, particularly the former players that are coaching in high schools around the area. Yeah, and, and there are uh, a lot of those guys as well. In fact, I think, if I'm not mistaken, Darnell Dockett was out there uh, one day earlier this or earlier last week. So uh, good to see him uh, out out in, uh, back in Tallahassee for a bit as well. Well, and this is an interesting conversation because I think on the surface, I associate the camps as such a good recruiting tool when you get the top prospects in because you can actually measure them and not have to go with the, uh, you know, everybody in high school ran a four one five according to how they tested in high school. But you know a little bit more when you actually do the measurables. But what I was going to say is that back to the point about current players being involved, Tim, Jimbo says every recruiting season that the best recruiters he has is his current player. So that's where the relationships are developed amongst uh, current Knowles and future ones. And that's a pretty vitally important part of these camps too. Absolutely. Uh, and, and yeah, it's uh, for a, uh, for a defensive end prospect to come and spend time with, with the Marcus Walker. Uh, I think it's pretty valuable for an offensive line to, to get to familiar with Roderick Johnson. It, it's definitely valuable whether they end up coming here or not. Uh, it, it certainly is a good thing. And, and you know, breeds that familiarity and that, that comfort level that you you like to have. Um, and, and, you know, there's there's certain degree. I mean, obviously coaches are going to recruit, and they're the, the biggest recruiters, but the players, just by the nature of being players, can can offer a perspective and, and share the experiences in a way that the coaches just can't. You know, you can trust Dalvin Cook or, or DeMarcus to, to share the reality of what it's like to be a football player. A coach can tell you, but, uh, you know, a, a current player can can – I guess share that uh, that point of view better than any coach ever could. And so when you have good ambassadors like that, I think that uh, the Jimbo East gets a sense is really happy with the the upperclassmen and the leadership that he has going into the season. When you have those guys that you know that you can trust, it's a pretty nice situation to be in. We're talking with our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefeld, about Jimbo Fisher's football camps. We're talking about the ones on campus, but uh, it appears Florida State's going to take a pass 
on the satellite camps. Is that uh, your understanding too? It's been such a, a buzzword out there, buzz phrase. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's been the, the talk of the summer that I don't think anybody actually wants to talk about it, yet it won't go away. Uh, yes, uh, uh, Jimbo was asked directly if they're going to participate in any satellite camps, and the, uh, the quote that, that you've probably seen and was everywhere was, we're satelliting right here in Tallahassee, which, uh, which I certainly got a, a chuckle in. You know, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out and how the, the other sort of heavyweight college football approach that sort of thing. Uh, I definitely understand why, uh, you know, the schools with a, the, the northern footprint might want to move south. But from Florida State's perspective, and, and they're not the only ones, I know Clemson has said they won't be participating, uh, it's not like they're hurting for recruiting. Uh, and, and you can, I think, sort of, uh, I don't know, protect your brand is the word, but maybe boost your brand a little bit by saying, you know what, we're not going to do that. We can, you know, we feel strong enough in what we have here. We get kids to come here. We're going to do that. Um, and we'll see if that pays off, but, uh, but I do think it's an interesting strategy, and, and I kind of wonder going forward if some of the other elite programs in college football might adopt a similar approach. Almost sort of say, you know, it sounds almost, I don't know, snobbish is the word, but just to basically kind of say, you know, we feel like we're above that. Well, it's almost like, and I don't mean this as badly, but it's almost like a gimmick. If, if I've got to come up with a gimmick to do something, that means I've got distance I've got to make up to somebody or a group of somebody's. And, and I, that that's what's always struck me about the Michigan deal is that they've been behind in recruiting for so many years that Harbaugh's had to come in and do something to get them to catch up. Why why would you play catch up when you're already ahead? Sure, and and you know you're you're kind of playing a game that somebody else established, which doesn't really seem like a, a great way to be. Too again, we'll, you know we'll see how it goes. I, it's hard as, as well as Florida State's recruit over the last couple of years. It's uh, really since Jimbo Fisher took over. Uh, it's hard to imagine that them slipping too much, but uh, you know the next few recruiting classes, you know, we'll see how they shake out, and maybe that policy could change. But for now, I think it's the it's the right thing for Florida State to do to, to kind of you know separate themselves from that pack. Tim, one topic, and Keith and I haven't gotten into this yet. We're going to do so next segment that's been out there and raised by David Teal, who probably covers the ACC as well as anybody in terms of being plugged in. But he's basically written a couple articles in the last week suggesting that the ACC is going to go to nine conference games because ESPN wants the inventory to help round out the the ACC network and increase the, the rights fees that the schools would get. Have you heard anything about that at all? And if so, when they might try to implement that again? You know what I haven't, in fact, seen, uh, seen David's article was the, the, really the first I'd even thought about it uh, in, in a while. Um, you know, I, I know for a while that they, they, they certainly have talked about it before, and, and most schools have been resistant to it because they like the idea of getting a, an extra non-conference game, whether that be space for a high-profile game or for a, for an easier game in advance of a, of a rival or something like that. But it does feel sort of inevitable that they'll go to non-conference games, especially as the league has grown over the last couple of years and, and I guess has the potential to grow further uh, down the road. It'll definitely be a topic uh, at ACC kickoff, which, by the way, is uh, about a month from now. And, uh, yeah, we just got the official word. We got invited again, Keith. Somehow they, well, one of us has already been accepted. Oh, see, I haven't done Well, I was out of the country. I have I'm not filled saying, out my credential I'm just saying. Yet. Um, you going to be there, Tim? Oh, yeah. Okay. I, I figured you would be. What else is uh, is making news around the Florida State uh, athletics beat right now, Tim? Anything of note? Gosh, you know, it, it's been awfully it's been pretty quiet. The NBA draft is this week, and uh, most uh, draft pundits suspect that uh, Malik Beasley will be drafted somewhere in the maybe mid to late 20s, actually trying to, to get up with him and, and uh, Coach Hamilton. Uh, at some point this week and, and, and get a story with him before the draft. But that's uh, 
kind of the big thing. Uh, you know, let, first let, rounders. Let me ask. Let me ask you about that real quick because Malik tweeted yesterday that he's been invited to the green room at the NBA draft, and I. You know, a little bit of searching I did. I couldn't figure out how many people were invited, but the about the number I found was 15 or 16 or so. And one, I don't know. one report out there has him going 16. So I guess my question is, is is it because several guys turned down the invite to the green room? How did they make it to Malik if, if they're only taking 16 and he's projected to go mid-20s? Because that's where I expect him to go, too. That's a good question. I don't know. Um, I, I'm not as well-versed in the, uh, in the, the NBA draft green room policies, but but you know, he's, I mean, he's a, uh, a certainly a, a first round prospect, and you never know, you know, what can happen on, on draft night. We've seen in the NFL guys who are expected to go off the board pretty early uh, end up sitting and they get all those awkward camera shots where they look really sad and they're eating candy and whatever else. So, well, well, that's why I'm asking. I don't want Malik to be that guy on draft <laughs> no, night. No, no. Well, I, I, was, I was coming in from the other side, I was thinking that, that there's a chance that he could go earlier than that. But I guess you're right uh, about that. But you know, you have a way in. in so I'm sure, I'm sure they, they they cast a wide net for uh, for players uh, to go to that thing, and and, uh, and Malik's definitely uh, the, the kind of guy that I think would would appreciate that experience. And, and so, uh, yeah, I'm sure you know, anybody in the draft I think knows that it's going to be a risk. And, and Malik's father played uh, professionally uh, overseas and in in uh, South America or Central America, so I think they they understand the business. But I'm sure they look at it just as an opportunity to to get a, a pretty neat experience, and the and the the potential reward outweighs the risk there. One other question, and we'll let you get going. Uh, obviously, last week uh, I was away, so we didn't do a show and didn't get your reaction to this. But Mike Martin got extended for another year, and Keith, you and I will banter about this uh, later in this edition of the show. So he's, he's signed through 2018, which obviously gives him two more years uh, to get Augie's record, uh, among other things. Do you do you get a sense, is it going to be two years in it? Is it uh, he might still coach then? Is there any announcement coming that Mike Jr. might be the coach When do we get a coach in waiting? That's, that's a lot, I know. That's a good question. Uh, I think if, if they were going to announce uh, any type of transition plan like that, I would have thought that it would come around the same time as they announced the contract extension. Uh, look, the, the, the extension for Mike Martin really shouldn't come as that big of a surprise. It was kind of a situation, believe it or not, like Leonard Hamilton earlier this year when he got his extension and that he was entering the last year of his deal. And, and you know, you just, in, in modern college athletics, coaches just don't coach on the last year of their deal. So you either extend them or essentially you fire them, and, and, and they weren't going to fire Mike Martin. So, uh, so an extension was just the, uh, the, natural, uh, the natural progression there. Uh, I think most people would probably think that, that two years seems like a pretty uh, obvious, uh, obvious way for, for his tenure to, to reach its conclusion. Uh, but, you know, I think those of us who have been around here for a while have learned that uh, I would never take anything for granted or never assume anything when it comes to, the legendary coaches uh, near the end of their careers because you just don't know. Uh, and the fact of the matter is that Florida State should be pretty good for the next two years, uh, especially if those pitchers continue to improve. You still have Dylan Busby, you still have Cal Raleigh, uh, you still have Jackson Luke. Uh, all of a sudden, you know, Taylor the Walls for that year. program. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's definitely looking a little more interesting uh, for next year and, and the year beyond than, than maybe it did you know, even a couple months ago. So uh, if the program is able to to be, uh, I guess, to, to be as successful as, as it seems to have the potential to be, uh, you know, who knows what can happen. Uh, so it's definitely interesting. It's funny how quickly the perception of that, of that program can turn. I know uh, it wasn't all that long ago that, you know, we were talking about, you know, I think you were asking me, you know, say something, say something nice or say something positive, and, and it wasn't easy when they were, you know, dropping games right and left. But after, you know, playing well at the ACC tournament and 
tearing through that regional and, you know, at least giving Florida a run for its money. And, and look, you know, Florida's a, a tough out for anybody. Uh, it, it just feels a little different, I think. And maybe you guys disagree, but that, that's kind of the way that, uh, that I felt about it. No, and you were accurate. I think I did put it that way and say, tell me something positive. That changed over about a month span. Uh, well, not, it began with the Miami series. Not, not unlike the NBA Finals and the stories on LeBron that changed over really the last two minutes of that game the other night. I mean, if it goes the other way... Uh, the, the haters are really out, so it is amazing. You're right about how things change. Tim, good stuff uh, as always. We uh, will uh, talk with you next. Do you, do you need to? Are you taking some time off? Do we need to put this on the calendar that you're going to Europe or doing something fun? Whatever you would do for for the next several weeks until fall camp starts. We'll, we'll see, man. Uh, I'm in the process of trying to move and do some other things around town, so that might end up being my vacation, which I'm I'm trying not to think about. But that's, uh, that's well. That's just correct. remember, though, Tim, anywhere you go. You can take that cell phone with you. <laughs> we, can, we, can you. we can reach out and touch. <laughs> and I'll give you one other disclaimer and we'll let you go. As somebody who uh, moved two summers in a row here fairly recently, right around the end of July, start of August, every lease in town for the students runs August 1 to August 1, which means that you won't be able to get the phone company, the cable company, anybody to your abode uh, anywhere in the month of August. So move, move before August 1st. And one other thing, Tim, one other thing. whenever you're moving, I'm out of town. <laughs> Can I at least borrow your truck? No. Oh. We can negotiate that between now and then. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Tim. Our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefelt. Uh, as football is going to be more and more on the brain, I'll point out that Seminoles.com is the only place to watch Jimbo's postgame pressers following every home game. And, of course, his Monday press gathering uh, as well, which will resume uh, just a couple of months from now. And, and, and they're adding more and more content. Uh, Tim does a great job with the things that he writes. Uh, I mean, you need to – it's almost like that needs to be – if you're a true Florida State fan, that needs to be a daily visit, if not more. Exactly right. Okay, so two big topics out there that we need to address. Nine conference games, Mike Martin extension. Where do you want to go first? Let's go Mike Martin extension. Mike Martin extension. We'll discuss it when we come back on the front row. Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in Tallahassee's All Saints District, this is The Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones, presented by Hobson Chevrolet. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Here's Tom Block and Keith Jones. We are back on The Front Row, Keith you said we should talk baseball, so let's continue that. Uh, I, I was away last week, and it was after Florida State was eliminated in the Super Regional. That immediately, the next day, word came out that Mike Martin had been extended through 2018. And Tim's point is right. You don't really leave a coach with just one year remaining. Uh, in football, you would have more than two years on there. I mean, typically, you're going to have a student-athlete's cycle on there. Although, in, in baseball, I don't even know what the cycle is. I, I guess, technically, it's three years for somebody who comes. But Well, and, and correct me if I'm wrong. We should have talked about this I, I, the proverbial, I should know the answer to this question before I raise it. But from Florida State's recruiting class, were there not three of those kids that were in the first round yes. this year? Yes. So you extend Martin, so you know he's going to be there two years, and you're deciding whether you want to go pro or you want to go college. 
don't underestimate the fact that that might impact one or hopefully two of those three kids as well. Now, it, I, I don't know where they're slotted well, and that type of thing. And that I, know, I think rich. Florida State fully expects to lose all those, all three of those, and some of them may have already signed. But I think the bigger point there would be that uh, you already had a coach who's in his 70s, and they still were able to recruit at a level where three guys went in the first round. And so it hadn't dropped a, off. Going a better in, point than mine. Thank it, you. It, it, it hadn't dropped off going into, into but this year. at the same time, I didn't know. I, I mean, I just hadn't paid attention. I thought that it might be a week or two or three after the fact. I think that the, the quickness of the announcement of the extension was the only thing that caught me off guard because I was I kept waiting for a sub part of that or the second part of that because I think I think it's time to name a coach in waiting so that that transition is defined. And I know there are folks that don't like that concept. I would submit to you, despite how Coach Bowden actually ended up leaving, the reality of Jimbo having been named the coach in waiting ended up being a very positive thing for Florida State. I happen to personally believe utilizing that same approach, particularly with a legendary coach like Martin, is the approach they ought to take and and i'd be the first to tell you i hope i hope meat is the guy that gets it well i would agree with that and i would add the caveat that the only reason they should name a head coach in waiting is because mike martin jr is on staff if it was just two guys and one of them wasn't mike senior's son i wouldn't necessarily say you need to name your head coach in waiting right now but it becomes a recruiting issue so somebody coming in as a freshman next year, if you think that 11 is only going to coach two more years and you're planning to play three years, I mean, you're not, if you're coming to FSU and you're not draft eligible to after your junior year, that means your junior season, you don't know who the coach is going to be. I think if Florida State is going to do it, then you need to publicize the word that this is what it is. We're going from Mike Sr. to Mike Jr. If that's not what they're going to do, you probably don't need to publicize that, but you owe it to meet to let him know that he is not going to be the next guy so that he can take care of himself and his family and get the best possible situation. As openings present themselves, because there's, there's, this is the time frame for openings. Yeah, I mean, And I, the other part of it too, Tom, and, and, and this is a big picture thing, and I know some of our fans and certainly some, some very uh, strong Florida State baseball fans won't necessarily like this comment, but we've, we've got the all-time winningest coach in football. Just from a corporate macro standpoint, I'd love to give 11 the opportunity to get that record. Well, and Joe Pa got the record back when the NCAA reversed it, but I understand what you're saying about Bobby's point. We can debate who and what and where and why, but we'll be in the conversation. Yeah, well, at the moment, it feels like, uh, to some, not to all, but is he just, you know, is he just chasing a record? And because if that's the reason, that to me shouldn't be the reason that you have him as your head coach. I think it has to go much more to... But that's a reason to name the head coach in waiting because you know it's a two-year transition and that head coach in waiting can start continuing and taking on greater responsibility just like Jimbo did when he came on staff. Unless, you know, unless two years becomes three years or... But I, I agree. To, I mean, we were in agreement on naming, naming Meade as the head coach in waiting. If, if that's what... Certainly if that's what FSU plans to do, uh, I, I think they need to do it. And let's let's look at some numbers. So Augie's at 1,973 wins and 11's at 1,898. So he needs 75 wins to tie and 76 to set the record. So barring the two worst seasons in Mike Martin's history in successive years, he's going to move past it. The more interesting thing is if this team is as good as you think it will be, I mean, this year's team, uh, the 22 losses was actually the most they've had in 12 years, uh, and they barely got over 40. I think you look at what they bring back, and it's going to be more realistic 
probably that you're looking at 46 to 48 with win teams, which means that after two years, 11 is going to be 10 wins away from 2000, something like, and then you got another milestone to go chase. Well, here, here's what I hope the problem is. I hope next year, Florida state wins the college world series. And Mike has to make a decision whether to leave on the high note without the record or come back to get the record because nobody would have a problem with him coming back after winning a college World Series. Well, next year's team will be good. I, I think next year we'll go from uh, hoping to get to Omaha to truly the and, – and the baseball team will say that's their goal every year. But I think when you look at what they return, I think that's a realistic expectation for next year's team. It was not for this year's team. The fact that they were one game away I think was over. And you don't think any team. of the three first-rounders are going to come? No. You think they're all going to go? No, no. The pro. one the one who's going to come is uh, Drew Mendoza, I think. And I forget who drafted him. But he basically circulated word, if you're not going to give me – and he's not one of those three. He's a separate one that would have been a first-round pick but told teams, if you don't give me X, I'm going to FSU. So he got drafted. What – Tom will know. 29th, 22nd round, something like that, 20-something round. But, again, you don't think any of the three are going to come, the first-round draft picks. I don't. See, that that's what's – The money's too much. And I, I understand, but – See, but, we're going we're gonna to continue this conversation because I don't know that I could tell my 18-year-old son if you were guaranteed a million and a half, two million, whatever the number is, to choose college over the guaranteed money right then because the the – professional ball pays for your college whenever you finish you go play seven eight nine years it doesn't work out you're 26 yeah you're an older college kid but it worked the, out the fine boy's office you. is right beside me at the earl bacon agency played six years in the minor leagues out of dr phillips high school and he was one of the first group that had that he attended florida state university got his degree he now works with us so but there's always that chance there's always that unique thing there's always that but and with three of them Maybe. I think the odds are maybe. 36th round, apparently, is where Mendoza went. Okay. No, you're right. And uh, to be truthful, I was out of the country on a beach with an umbrella drink, and I really haven't paid attention to those three and where they are in their negotiations or any of that right now. So let's step aside. We'll come back and uh, we'll Nine. Get, let's talk about nine. Let's talk about nine conference games uh, in the ACC. I would say potentially, but I think it feels more like inevitably, and we'll discuss it when we come back. You're listening to The Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Got a question? Email them at the front row at 979ESPNRadio.com. Here's Tom and Keith. on the front row okay we move from baseball back to football and we raised this topic with tim linnefelt but we have not dived into it yet so we'll do so now and that is the report from david teal that the acc is again looking at nine conference games the reason that's more games of interest to espn which is more inventory which means more dollars in terms of what the espn would pay to the acc which means more dollars to each institution in the atlantic coast conference that's the short story on why you would do it Two, three subparts of it. Number one, it keeps you from having to schedule games that, you know, like when Idaho came in or or uh, Georgia Southern. Uh, it keeps you from having to pay a game. I haven't worked out the numbers. I, I should sit down with Monk and go through the numbers. But I think it's obviously uh, more financially 
advantageous to play another conference game than to pay to have a game come in. Uh, Teal talked about, and there's been some other articles out, that with, with Notre Dame paying the five games or six games and then a Clemson and a Florida State uh, having traditional rivalry games with non-conference opponents, what what has to happen is the, the league has got to give some deference to those teams that have that non-conference traditional game. And, and you're going you're gonna to have to concede a little bit to a Clemson or to a Florida State or whoever fits that category so that you make it easier in those odd versus even years uh, and the way Notre Dame rotates in so that they can maintain their consistency. But and, – and I can't articulate because I don't have it right in front of me, but I've read several different scenarios that, that all make sense – from an even an odd year, even with a, a traditional out of conference power, where you can make the nine game conference schedule. Work. Well, the Atlantic would. So, if you have a nine game conference schedule, five are going to be on the road, four at home. So, what the league would have to do is the Atlantic Division would play its five road game year in even years, which is when Florida State hosts Florida, Clemson hosts South Carolina, and Georgia Tech hosts Georgia. So, they're aligned that way that they could. I believe that's the. And way. I believe I read somewhere where one of those traditional games may. We may not be in sync. So, for example, for the first year, Georgia Tech might have to play at Georgia two years in a row. Okay, maybe that's to get the one. It back too. But my point is the conference is going to have to help them do that to get it lined up. But once you get it lined up, it will work. So let's look at what the initial reaction is going to be. And this will be a topic, as Tim pointed out, at uh, ACC kickoff. Coaches on the surface are going to be opposed because their schedule just got one game tougher. However, if everybody's schedule got one game tougher, it's sort of a wash. Uh, although Jimbo if, didn't like playing first games with major opponents when he first became a head coach either. I'm going to get to what this would look like for FSU in a moment. But uh, here... The, the Big Ten, the Pac-12, and the Big 12 already play a nine-game conference schedule. So if the ACC gets there, it's everybody but the SEC is playing nine. Now, the SEC doesn't need to play nine, except that if the other four conferences are all doing it, to me, it, it could potentially turn into the same situation the Big Ten had where they're not playing a championship game, and that became a criteria, and they said, you know what, we better add a championship game. So if you project five or seven years down the road and everybody's playing nine conference games and the SEC's playing eight and they're still playing Wofford and Georgia Southern and whoever else is there at. And that's the that, point. Alabama is running the West, but they played three games against mighty inferior opponents as opposed to playing Vanderbilt another year. Well, and Alabama's not the uh, the biggest defender there. I mean, Alabama's played on the national no, stage. I, I was, games. I was so just I mean, thinking you, on them as being the defending national champions. But if you want to pull out SEC West schedules, you could go through uh, certainly probably the bottom four in the, in the West and look at who their non-conference is. Although, uh, it's, you know, Anyway, I'm just I'm just suggesting that that while the SEC, so that would be one reason the SEC might consider it five or seven years down. The second reason would be even though they already get more TV money than anybody, more money than what you have is still more money than what you have. So it'd be another incentive for them to get into their conference so game. What there. the Big Ten just got for their second tier, yeah, the, two, the number two tier, number two tier, uh, getting 190 million. Yeah, they're they're up to 440 million per year to the Big Ten, not counting the Big Ten network. That's that's pretty good TV package there. So let's look at what this would do for Florida State, though, because really what it means for FSU uh, is that most years you would have one patsy, and Jimbo would put that game before the University of Florida. And other than that, it, it would be loaded. So if you look at 
Well, 2017 doesn't matter. They're not going to get this worked out by them. But already FSU plays Alabama and Florida that year. So if they did, it would be Alabama, Florida, one other conference game, and a patsy. In 2018, FSU plays at Notre Dame and Florida. So if you add another game, that's one patsy. In 2019 and 2020, FSU has Boise State on the schedule two years in a row. Now, there's been conjecture for a while that Florida State was trying to get out of that series. FSU has told me they have no interest in it. If it went to nine conference games, they might be revisiting that and taking a look at what the buyout is on Well, that. and that may be where the conference comes back in, and the conference helps Florida State buy those games out. Right. Well, and then in 2021, FSU plays Notre Dame again and Florida. So so through this 2021 season, FSU already has two solid non-conference opponents. Uh, if you add another conference game, I mean, that, that all that's left is for the Charleston Southerns of the world to come in and you play them the week before Thanksgiving before you play Florida. Or you don't do it that way and you play in the first or second game of the season. Tommy, the three or four years before I signed my scholarship at Florida State, they played 10 games a year. They wanted to go to 11. Coaches thought that was the worst thing in the world. We played 11. 12, 15 years ago, they wanted to go to 12. They hated it. We went to 12. Then they introduced the championship game. The coaches hated it. We play a championship game. Now we got a playoff, not just the bowl system. One more game to play. Coaches hate it. Coaches hate change. But what's in the best interest of the college football game, I think, has to be the overriding thing. And with so many other conferences at nine games, obviously so many other conferences with championship games has become a motivating factor. It's just the way it is. So let's move on. I'm not opposed to the concept. I don't know that it's in the best interest of the game. From a fan standpoint, it might be. Not from a player standpoint, necessarily. Well, since when do we care about the players? Well, I'm just... I mean... I say that rhetorically. I, I know you do, and you're a former player. And Now, uh, the, the, there's two things that can happen, in my opinion. Number one, you increase the scholarship limit. Because you're playing more, more games, tougher games... Let's go to 90 or 95 scholarships instead of the 85, okay? And number two, you continue looking at the reforms, and you and I have talked about it. We're going to have some kids on here uh, in, the, in the summer months that are participating with that. How, how do we really define that 20 hours a week, and how do we do the off season? How do we make it a little bit easier on the bodies of these kids? But increase the number of scholarships, find a way to tone down some of the hard work without giving up what, what – playing football is and we can make this work and i think it is for the good of the game and it'll include everybody it will definitely be a popular topic at uh, this year's acc kickoff which comes up in uh, charlotte it'll be a very popular topic on thursday night in the uh, unofficial jeff cameron come join me let's have a roundtable discussion time is that what we bill that as? I just made it up. I okay. don't know what it's billed as. You're right. No, it'll be a, it'll be a heavy time between now. And it it feels like it's what's what's maybe most interesting about this is that David Teal, who we've had on this program, is so plugged in that he's writing stories suggesting this. Oh, is it's going to happen. Setting. It it really feels it's when you happen. read those that he knows this is happening and he's he's putting info out there. Um, how about this one? Not that this has not been. Don't associate this with David Teal, but. Why don't you just get Notre Dame all in, and then you're playing nine conference games? You've already worked them into the schedule halfway. Well, that that solves all of the problem. I, I, and I predict, I will tell you, that is going to happen for two reasons. Number one, NBC is going to get tired of paying the money they're paying to get six or seven games. They're not a player in college football unless they can find a way to buy into some other conference. Just stay with the pro product. And number two, it, it's just inevitable. I mean, you can't be – 
a conference member with 20 or 21 other sports and not be a conference member with your number one sport. Because at some point in time, Notre Dame's going to be right on the crust. They're going to be at 8-4 and four or 9-3. And three, and ten, that's going to be and, it. And, and, and yeah. they didn't play in a championship well, you know, game, and it's going to end up. And finally, finally, they're going to turn around and say, you know, we're good in terms of being a national brand, but we're not that good. Well, and the money will factor in, too, to your point. But even right now, like Wake Forest gets more money for its TV deal than what Notre Dame does because I think the NBC contract pays fifteen, 15 million. Fifteen is what Notre I heard. Dame. Yeah, we keep looking at this. So you know, and they're in the heart of Big Ten country, if you will, where Northwestern's going to be making forty million a year on its TV dollars, and Notre Dame's getting fifteen. So at some point, it does. You know, who's on record as saying that it's going to happen is Tim Brando, who obviously has called a lot of ACC stuff for a while. I was listening to a podcast that he did recently where, for the reasons we just articulated, he said that Notre Dame will join. Now, he didn't say next year or within the next two years, but it was, he was more like it was five years. They're going to. They will join when the ACC network gets kicked off because that's a revenue stream they have no part of unless they're a member of the conference. Yeah, interesting. We're throwing lots of things out there and seeing what sticks. But I do think the ACC network, which was long, uh, I think a lot of media that covered the ACC said there's no chance it's going to happen. I think that pendulum has swung, and now people have come around and they realize it is going to happen in some form, whatever it is. And as we've said in the past, not to interrupt you, but because of the way Swafford is, you're not going to hear a leak that says it's going to start in 2017 or 2018. They're going to hold a news conference and say we're starting three weeks from now or however the time frame is. We've been down this road before. Let's let's finish up, uh, take a quick break. i got two other things I want to hit quickly. I don't even know that we have time, but we'll try. You're driving the car, brother. You're driving the Uh, car. We'll finish up after this. Listening to the front row with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Got a question? Email them at the front row at 979ESPNRadio.com. Here's Tom and Keith. You're listening to the front row with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Got a question? Email them at the front row at 979ESPNRadio.com. Here's Tom and Keith. things draft related i hadn't heard this although i guess it's probably been bantied about uh, uh for the past couple of years but the american baseball coaches association is continuing conversations with with coaches in major league baseball about moving the the baseball draft to omaha and placing it maybe the three days before the world series starts uh they don't have consensus on that from a pro standpoint you'd have to move the draft back a week which means less time those those prospects would be in your system on the surface though i like the idea would they bring kids in because if you're a junior and draft eligible you can turn down the draft and return for your senior year so what what would their green room look like well i don't know maybe it'd be i mean right now they hold it in secaucus new jersey i understand so instead of bringing them there you'd bring them to omaha omaha has a uh Oh, what's it called? I, I even the CenturyLink Center is their civic center. Great facility. They host you know U.S. swimming trials. It's right next to TD Ameritrade, so you have a venue that you could do something like this. So why not hold it the three days after? It, well, I'm sure Pro Ball wouldn't want to go that far back. It used to be that the draft was the first Tuesday in June. So now what we're talking about here would move it to the middle of June. I know Pro Ball didn't want it at the end of June, though the the college coaches would love it there. Um, anyway, just something that's out there. I thought it'd be interesting. You could have because you'd have some of the top players there. You could do the the first round on Thursday night, most of the you know through round twenty five on Friday, and then get into the World Series on Saturday. Uh, the other thing, Malik Beasley invited to the green room. Good luck to him. 
first Very round. So. I had not studied. Have you studied? Uh, he had that uh, procedure, medical procedure. Uh, he had a stress fracture yeah. to but, surgery to his right leg. He, but everything I've read is it is absolutely I, positively not a deterrent. Yeah. Well, he's. I know he's worked out. Uh, maybe not worked out, but he's shot. So stationary. I don't know how much he's moved around. But uh, the fact he's invited to the green room must mean that uh, those first round Let's protections hope so. Let's hope so. are panning out. All right. We're out of time. He's Keith. I'm Tom. We uh, thank you, as always, for tuning into the front row. We'll talk to you next week. Yeah.